The 10th head coach in Ohio State football history lasted as long as the 9th head coach. A year. Ohio State football was now 22 seasons into a grand experiment. The year was 1911, and the game of football looked a lot different. If you found yourself on Ohio Field on a Saturday in the fall, you might not know exactly what you were looking at. You might think that passing was illegal, given all the run-heavy formations you saw, the smashing fullbacks, the halfbacks working to find space, and a pile of defensive and offensive linemen. The game was now six years removed from 1905. Then, Teddy Roosevelt convened the leading schools in the East to adopt rules to make college football more safe. Football of the time was too often a fatal affair. In the five-year span between 1900 and 1905, 45 football players died from injuries sustained playing the game. Among those lost was Ohio State center John Segrist, captain of the 1898 Buckeye squad. The Rough Rider Roosevelt was all for rigorous athletic activity, but football had become too violent. So in 1905, Roosevelt, then president, gathered coaches from Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, the biggest powers of the day, to the White House. The president urged them to clean up the game. It was the first time a president had ever intervened to reform college sports. The teams took note, and shortly thereafter, 62 schools met and adopted rules to make the game more safe. The rule changes worked, and deaths and serious injuries drastically dropped. So now, six years on, the year is 1911. There you are, looking out onto Ohio Field under a blue-gray October sky. Squint your eyes and you just think you might see that you're watching rugby. But then, in a rare display, the ball would take flight. Flight in football, I mean, even human flight, was still a new development. It was still only eight years earlier that the Wright brothers first opened the door to human flight at Kitty Hawk. To the game of football, the forward pass, made legal after Roosevelt's intervention, would eventually become a driving force. But that was the future, and this was now. Watching this day, you might see the rare pass thrown, and it wouldn't sail particularly far. Passes, after all, could not be thrown for more than 20 yards, and incomplete passes were penalized. Penalized. Those were the quirky rules of the day, but not the only quirky rules. The field was 110 yards in length, and teams had three downs to gain 10 yards. Touchdowns were worth five points. Unfortunately, in the 1911 season, Ohio State wasn't seeing the end zone much at all. The Buckeyes played 10 total games and were held scoreless in five of them. The defense made up for the weakness of the offense, holding OSU's opponents scoreless on six occasions. The Buckeyes finished the year with a 5-3-2 record, good for fourth place in the Ohio Athletic Conference. Despite the finish, the season left a moment of good feeling of what had been accomplished. First-year head coach Harry Vaughn, who was an All-American from Yale, did a noble job coaching up the squad. The OSU Alumni Magazine said, Much praise is due to Coach Harry Vaughn for the things that he accomplished. It must be remembered that he was very much handicapped by the fact that but three men who could really be called regulars remained as the nucleus of the team which he was to construct. There was another perk of the winning record. 
people were coming to games. The OSU Alumni Magazine reported that the end of the football season saw the athletic department out of debt. But Vaughn left after the season, returning to Yale to pursue a law degree. The head coach of Ohio State leaving to pursue a law degree? These were indeed different times. Buckeye football seemed to be on the wrong track. It had now been half a dozen years since OSU won a conference championship. For the second straight year, Ohio State's head coach had left after the season. The Buckeyes were finishing with a middle-of-the-road record in a conference that was itself middle-of-the-road. To shape up, OSU would bring in a new head coach and a new athletic director. The series of hires Ohio State would make next would change the course of OSU football history, turning a program that was solid into the power we see today. The hunt was on for a new head coach. The person Ohio State hired would take on even more significance than usual. Why? Well, it was because the Buckeyes were moving on up. Conference realignment shaped early college football, and Ohio State sought to move from the Ohio Athletic Conference to the Western Conference. The West, as it was called, stood as one of the strongest conferences of its day. The West was the forerunner to today's Big Ten, and it was where some of the game's best played and coached. Robert Zupke led the fearsome Illini teams. Amos Alonzo Stagg coached the towering Chicago Maroons. They were joined by Iowa, Minnesota, Purdue, Wisconsin, Indiana, and Northwestern. In January, OSU's athletic board unanimously agreed to make a move to join the Western Conference. Three OSU officials made their way to Chicago on January 26 and presented at the conference meeting. The presentation worked. On April 6th, the Western Conference approved OSU's membership request. The Buckeyes would play their first conference football games against the powers of the West a little over a year away. The pieces were in place. Ohio State had a final tune-up season among the Buckeye State powers of the OAC before making the jump to the West. Ohio State was about to move from playing the powers of Ohio to squaring off against the powers of the country. To make the transition successfully, the Buckeyes needed to build the right team. But more than a team, they needed to move their athletic department from one that was skimping by to pay the bills to an entirely new infrastructure that could sustain a growing program. It was in this moment that Ohio State landed two exemplary job candidates, and they hired the duo together. The new athletic department director and coach of the football team would be John Richards. Richards was not a small man, which was the reason many called him Big John. OSU managed to pluck Richards away from Wisconsin, who was already a member of the Western Conference. Collier is a leading national magazine, named its top football coaches in America based on their job the previous year. Amos Alonzo Stagg was number one, John Richards was number two. Richards had coached the Badgers to a 5-1-1 mark the previous year finishing third in the conference and turning around a Wisconsin team that had won a single game the year before. He played college football for the Badgers and was twice named captain. Big John knew the ropes. Richards was joined by Lynn St. John. It was St. John's second tour at Ohio State. He first arrived on campus in 1900 where he added depth as a speedy halfback on the football team. When fall turned to winter, St. turned to the hardwood and played basketball for the Buckeyes. But tragedy struck. 
Saint's father passed away, and his budding sports career at Ohio State was cut short, and he withdrew from school after winter break. The next year, Saint taught at Fostoria High School and coached its athletic squads. He found he had a knack for coaching and management, and the following year, Wooster made him an offer he couldn't refuse and requested he handle their athletic affairs. For six years, Saint went to work at Wooster. The Lantern, Ohio State student newspaper recalled, Saint turned out teams that made the Wooster colors feared even though the size of the college was a big point against it. Soon, Ohio Wesleyan came calling, where Saint again oversaw all athletics. He coached football, basketball, and baseball. The Lantern said simply that Saint's Wesleyan teams were feared by all schools in Ohio. With Richards and Saint hired, Ohio State started on a grand experiment to reform its athletic program to meet the rising challenge of joining the Western Conference. The headline in the Lantern read, Richards and St. John are new leaders. The student newspaper broke down the roles and responsibilities for OSU's new star duo. The new combination has been very carefully planned. Richards is well up on all Western Conference affairs while St. John knows as much as anyone in the state of Ohio about athletics. The latter is also a good business manager and his familiarity with Ohio State's conditions should make it easy for him to fit into his new position. The duo needed to work their magic quickly. They had one year. One year before Ohio State joined the big leagues of the Western Conference. Could Big John Richards? Could Lynn St. John? Could they whip the program into shape? Richards and Saints started their new roles on September 1st, 1912. But like today, the job of a coach happened long before September. Richards knew he had to get to know the men at Ohio State. So he requested that OSU hand over their details so he could keep in touch with the players throughout the summer. Just as OSU would welcome their new coach, college football was welcoming new rule changes that would modernize the game. Among them, Teams were given four downs to get 10 yards rather than three. A touchdown increased from five points to six, and the field decreased in size from 110 yards to 100. The schedule for 1912 was no easy day. The Buckeyes opened with two manageable games against Otterbein and Denison. Then they'd have to play a team they'd never beat before, Michigan. From there, the schedule turned to a slate of Ohio teams, Cincinnati, Case, and Mighty Oberlin who the Buckeyes had not beat in their past three tries. Oberlin stood as an early power of the day, where the legendary John Heisman first coached. From there, the Buckeyes took on Penn State before finishing with Ohio Wesleyan and then Michigan Agricultural, a forerunner to Michigan State. Big John walked into his new role and knew time was of the essence. The first game would be played in October, giving him precious little time to get to know the team and little time too to coach them up but while big john came from wisconsin he was more a magician than he was a badger the buckeyes came out to a roaring start osu obliterated otterbein 55 to nothing they dispatched denison 34 to nothing next up was an undefeated michigan team coached by the wiley fielding yost Yost had failed to earn the OSU coaching job years before and had wound up at Michigan, where he turned the Wolverines into one of the best college football programs of any era. 
And when it came to Ohio State, Yost didn't lose. In fact, no Michigan team lost to Ohio State. The Buckeyes had played the Wolverines 13 times, losing 11 and tying two. Big John may have been a magician for a coach, but he was not a miracle worker. Yost again won the day, walking out of Columbus with a 14-0 Michigan victory. For Yost, the victory marked his 100th game coaching the Wolverines, and he had coached them to an 86-7-7 record. But the loss to Yost and his Michigan squad also put the future of the series on uneasy ground. Every year from 1907 to 1912, Ohio State and Michigan played. This was really a formative part of the rivalry, but it was made possible by Michigan being kicked out of the Western Conference. The Western Conference in Michigan parted ways in 1907 after Yost's team refused to abide by new conference rules. Taking it one step further, the Western Conference banned any team in the West from scheduling Michigan. When the Buckeyes joined the West, Michigan would be off the schedule. It wasn't known if or when the series would soon resume. But the future of the Michigan OSU series was a question for another day and not something that Coach Richards could control. Richards turned his attention to the schedule ahead. The Buckeyes rebounded against Cincinnati and Case, well, they stood little chance, falling 45-7 and 31-6. Oberlin, mighty Oberlin, fell too, 23-17. And around Columbus, well, suddenly the football team looked like the real deal. OSU stood at 5-1. Their only loss to Michigan, and well, nearly everyone lost to Michigan. Next up, a school Ohio State had never played before, a school called Penn State. It was a game against Penn State that would cement Big John's reputation nationally. The Nittany Lions were lightning fast. They jumped out to an early lead and never looked back. But how Penn State played rubbed OSU's coach the wrong way. Big John Richards pulled the Buckeyes off the field with time remaining as the Buckeyes trailed 37 to nothing. Some thought the move by Coach Richards showed weakness. Some thought the Buckeyes looked soft. The Toledo News B wrote, Coach Richards of Ohio State who took his team off the field Saturday because he declared Penn State was too rough, evidently was never on Lake Erie on a choppy sea. Suddenly, at 5-2, the Buckeyes weren't being talked about as having a strong season. They were being talked about as being soft. Richards wasn't the only one outraged by the events that day. A freshman OSU student hoisted Penn State's colors up the goalpost and set them on fire in front of Penn State's president, E.E. E. Sparks. Ohio State and Penn State were furious at each other. The bad blood would last. OSU and Penn State would not play again for 44 years. OSU split their remaining two games, blowing out Lynn St. John's old squad at Ohio Wesleyan 36-6, before ending on a sour note, falling to Michigan Agricultural 20-35. The season was a success, or was it? The Buckeyes finished first in the Ohio Athletic Conference with a 5-0 record but losing to Penn State and the Michigan schools wasn't great. The most devastating blow, however, happened in the offseason. The university put its hopes in Big John Richards to lead the football team and a new-look athletic department. 
Him and Lynn St. John would be stewards of a new way forward for OSU, shepherding the university to the higher competitive ground of the Western Conference. But shockingly, out of the blue, Big John bolted. Coach Richards quit. Richards left the university for a well-paying job in Chicago, outside the coaching ranks. In the pages of the Columbus Dispatch, Richards bid OSU farewell. I am sorry to go from Ohio State where I found an institution with a very exceptional athletic future. I had to do what a man often must do, make a decision which meant my life's future to me. Just now my duty is displeasing, but I believe it is the best thing for me to do in the face of the flattering offer I have received. My relations at Ohio State were of the happiest. I shall always give Ohio State my support as best I can, and I see no reason why the institution shall not keep right on advancing and have an honorable share in conference athletics. Richards was gone, and with it, OSU again, for the third straight year, found itself in need of replacing its head coach. More than ever was at stake. OSU was moving into the Western Conference. Ohio State needed to hit a home run with its next hire. They needed stability, not a revolving door of coaches staying for one season, then running through the door. Was Ohio State chasing a unicorn? Who would lead them? into the ferocious Western Conference. Hey there, thanks for listening to I Want to Go Back, a podcast about the people, places, and events that shaped Ohio State football. I'm your host, Jim Baird. This podcast is part of Land Grant Holy Land's network of Buckeye podcasts. If you did like what you listened to, please feel free to give us a five-star rating and share it with your friends. Music for this season was provided by Fields Ohio, Fool's Fire, and Nick Jados. Thanks to you for really helping bring the, the history of the game to life with your music. A podcast like this builds on great research already out there. If you want to read more, I'd encourage you to check out a couple of things, including the official Ohio State Football Encyclopedia by the legendary Jack Park and Chick, the extraordinary rise of Ohio State football and the tragic schoolboy athlete who made it happen by Bob Hunter. Both of those books were invaluable resources as I put this series together. Thanks and go Bucks.